This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Shaka Khan on the stereo. And I bet you've been missing all those classic games. Has it been too long since you played them? Well, I feel for you. So do something about it. Head over to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm still Mike McGinnis. And I'm still awesome. And this is still the uh, No Quarter podcast. <laughs> I think I was about like, that. What are we called again? No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast that we are now attempting to record a second time this evening because I had some mic problems. Your Yeti is not so wonderful. That's two shows in a row. We did pretty good for like 95 episodes straight. And now two in a row we've had audio problems. I blame you. Yeah, it looks like my one microphone just killed a USB port. Wow, that's pretty serious. I got some funky sounds. So, luckily, I've got a big bucket of microphones, and I've just grabbed <laughs> another one. Scooped another one out. Huzzah for multiple USB ports. So, we'll see what this sounds like. How are you, sir? I'm phenomenal. Still phenomenal. I'm a phenom. You have all sorts of excellent superlatives for what you I are. have all sorts of excellence, is what you mean to say. Well, you have that too, but I, I find myself wondering, like, which is better than the other on any given day? I mean, sometimes terrific is better, sometimes phenomenal is awesome, and I don't know. Sometimes awesome is phenomenal. <laughs> They're interchangeable, <laughs> they are me. Yes. I see. And how are you? I'm doing well. I'm here to talk about video games. I'm here to talk about a video game. In particular. Not much of one. This week's game is a game that at first I was like, no, don't like, <laughs> I reject this game. And then something happened that endeared me to it. And suddenly I loved the game. And then it wore off again and I don't like it. Again. Mm. So I went through a bit of a roller coaster with this week's game. Well, we'll cover all that in a, in a few minutes. We shall. We also got feedback. I guess we could go over that first. Got lots this week. Um, Philip wrote in. Just with a quick correction, we gave us a, we got a lot of feedback because last week we were touching on sort of the the inherent sexism. We basically solved the problem of sexism in the industry. You and I, we solved in, it in twenty minutes, which was great. Way to go, us! Um, and so, lots of feedback on that. Lots of really positive stuff and touching stories. It was awesome. But I want to focus on some of the more factual feedback we got. And Philip, in addition to sending us a really nice story, also corrected me. I had said in discussing Ms. Pac Man that you basically have to walk over every section of the maze once to pick up all the pallets. Mm. That's technically not true, because there are some sections in each maze that don't have pellets in them, so you don't actually have to walk over everywhere. So, a small point, but a true one. All right. Roberta also wrote in uh, yeah. with, a, with a bunch of nice stuff, but then in the, in the bottom... Um, she wanted to talk about the, uh, the turbo mode. We had discussed whether or not Turbo was, uh, in Ms. Pac-Man, was a dip switch thing or ROM thing. As she wrote to say, I'm pretty sure Turbo Mode in Ms. Pac-Man is a ROM change, not dip switches like Mike said. I tried uh-huh. to Google it to be sure, and the first page I found discussing it was a blog talking about a high score attempt at the Underground Retrocade. <laughs> you guys have me seeing that name everywhere. I've even decided to go there during my next trip south 
just because you won't shut up about the place. Um, and then she sent us a link. She says the blog in question was over at packmaniacs, that's spelled with an X, dot wordpress.com, because I know how Carrington likes to add links. She also wrote that um, Turbo Mode also makes it more likely you'll get a buoy. That's a bug where your gender normative Mr. and or Ms. Pack person <laughs> goes right through a ghost. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And she sends a link over to Twitch TV. I watched it, too. And it's like somebody just goes barreling through a ghost. And I would have thought that's because of a, a like a, a cheat code or something. But I guess it's an occasional bug that can come up. Never yeah, come no, up I, with me. I experienced that while I was playing. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, see, that's why your score was better. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I thought I was dead a couple of times. And I... Kept going and went, oh, look at that. I'd be Carrington again. I thought I was dead a couple of times, and it turns out I was every time. Uh, anyway, she, conclu- she concludes by saying, uh, Turbo Mode is, also- is more fun and also easier, in her opinion. Once you get used to playing on Turbo, it's almost painful to play on the original. Yes. Once you go fast pack, you never go back. <laughs> Keep on keeping on, Roberta. Um, that was very nice. And the um, I should point out that the blog she's... She sent us to him. We'll have a link in the show notes. Is Sean's blog, which is uh, he's Dauber on Atari Age. Mm, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, last that. week we we'd mentioned that uh, Ms. Pac Man, like the original Pac Man, had been ported to pretty much every platform imaginable, and probably some that you've never even thought of before. Uh, but I forgot I to mention them all. <laughs> I forgot to mention that there was a Mr. and Mrs. Pac Man pinball game. It was released in 1982. Uh, by Bally Midway, designed by George Christian, and is based on the uh, Namco's classic Pac-Man series. Uh, and there's a write-up over at the IPDB listing for it. So it looks like there's about 10,600 of those made, uh, which I think is a lot for pinball machines, but uh, you can check that out. Do we care about pinball? I do. Is that, a, is that now a thing? I'm starting to, <laughs> yes. Uh, I watched some pinball <laughs> in... Um... In Kansas City, when we were down there for a Kansas Fest, a bunch of us went to a movie, and there were um, some video games in the cinema, and there was also a pinball machine. I oh, watched some oh. people playing that. Yeah, so that was the Pinball 2000. Um, that was the Phantom Menace machine. It was a Star Wars episode crap. And this machine was sad, sad, sad. It was worn the F out. There was no play in the, the bumpers, the, the the bumpers have, you know, the, the rubber around them, and usually you, the ball on it's got a nice bounce, and you can send that thing all over the place. And man, this 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 pinball machine felt uh, felt pretty darn limp. Aw, <laughs> it was not in good shape. The colors were washed out. I don't I don't know what was wrong with this thing, but uh, it uh, it was no fun to play. It was full of excuses. That's what it was. <laughs> Just like me when I lose to you. <laughs> so let's see. Feedback wise. We Dodger. Dodger wrote in to say, great show. There was a lively discussion at my workplace about your Mr. Pac-Woman episode. And that got me to give it a listen. I've now gone back and I am waka waka waka-ing through your back catalog. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Even back during the first episodes which is rare for a podcast. I'm really glad you keep your full back catalog available. I'm really enjoying catching up. In the most recent episode, Mike mentioned that he didn't know where someone would put one of those massive Theater 6 cabs. Well, in the Galaxian Galaxian Theater forum that you linked to last week, it was actually a great write-up with photos from someone who did buy one. And then she gave us a link. It's over to the DragonLairFans.com site. We did link to it last week. But I guess in one of the actual discussion threads there, somebody picked one of these things up. And there's a bunch of photos. So she says, definitely worth checking out. Thanks for all the great OC. Took me a while to figure out that meant original content. 
Um, and also in reading her letter, I think I threw a word actually in there that I, I've got this habit of now saying actually all the time. And I think I'm now throwing it into other people's writing. So oh, that's kind of weird. I'm trying to stop it, but I can't. I actually can't. Now, what, what, what interested me about her letter was, was that she mentioned that people were talking about our podcast at her place of work. What are you guys doing? Were you listening to our show at work? We are water cooler stuff, man. <laughs> that's really weird. ROC. I want to work there like water and listen to WC. myself and then criticize Carrington. Wait, WC doesn't mean water cooler. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, Ron, Ron Fireisen, he wrote in. He's written in before. Hello, Ron. He says, hi, Mike and Carrington. In episode 93, Megazone, you discussed hidden characters found in game code. I think these characters were purposely placed within the code as a form of copyright trap used to identify stolen code when and if it was to occur. Map makers used the trick of placing fictitious towns within their maps that would be easily found by the originator as being a stolen copy of their work if published by someone else. This wow. trick isn't, yeah, this isn't a trick that has been forgotten even today. Here's a link to an article, he sends this link, to an article talking about Google Maps using the trick of placing a fictitious town in England card called Argleton, complete with fake local business listings, weather, <laughs> and Friday night hotspots. Totally amazing. Wow, Ron. Great catch. I knew about the, the map thing. I, I I guess it didn't occur to me at all about the code thing. It, it makes perfect sense. I, we were talking on an episode, I think, of Open Apple a while back about, and this may not have been the Apple Franklin case. It may have been another early ROM cloning copyright case, but I, for some reason it sticks in my head as Franklin versus Apple, where Apple got a hold of, of Franklin's ROMs and, and they knew that Franklin was ripping them off because the comments were still there with the same mistakes that were in the original Apple code. How lazy. Yep. So I remember you guys talking about that. Yeah. So that's sort of a, I, it didn't, it wouldn't, it didn't occur to me that that's something that, that somebody would do intentionally, but I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think people should go to the location that this Argleton supposedly is, <laughs> and then they should have like once a year, you have like the Argleton meeting and people can set up like booths that have the businesses and stuff. And awesome. <laughs> I would go to those Friday night hot city spots. council. Totally. Uh, let's see what else we, Oh, Palo wrote in to say great episode. This is about the Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man episode. Great episode. I really like that your show discussed topics beyond just the chip speeds sometimes. Great variety, and it's nice that you won't shy away from controversial topics. It's one reason yours is the most interesting podcast in the retro space right now. Also, the scores for your Ms. Pac-Man episodes shows that you both have improved as gamers, too. In Pac-Man, Carrington scored 15,770, and Mike scored 20,070. But for Ms. Pac-Man, one year later, Carrington scored 28,700, and Mike scored 48,320. That means Carrington scored almost twice as high on Ms. Pac-Man over Pac-Man from episode one, and Mike scored almost two and a half times as high. Please note, though, that those scores are both terrible. <laughs> both of you kind of suck at both of those kind of games, but that's okay. You are much better podcasters than you are gamers, and I say that as a fan. Um, and then he wrote a bunch of more stuff that was really touching about how mm -hmm. our podcast helped him. Personally, very, very nice email, Paolo, but I thought it was very funny, and I'm very happy to hear that we are improving as, as gamers. Way to go, us. We're less terrible. <laughs> we are Paolo, not quite as terrible. Paolo, you have way too much time on your hands to be keeping track of that sort of thing, and enjoy your band. <laughs> Bands for everybody who <laughs> writes in and puts any effort in. That's nice, Mike. That's nice. No, just for saying that we're terrible, even though we are. 
So let's see. We also got uh, we got email, a very nice email, a long one, but I think he addresses such great points. I want to read most of it. So we got a great email from Sean saying, everybody grab yourself a cup of tea because it'll take a while. I'll be back here's in the, a little while. Here's the email. <laughs> yes. First off, you mentioned how the overall gameplay is pretty much the same as Pac-Man. Well, that's exactly one of the problems Namco had with Ms. Pac-Man. The reason that Bally Midway was so antsy to get a sequel is, of course, that Pac-Man attracted female gamers. But overall, people who regularly played Pac-Man were getting tired of it and finding it to be very predictable and easy after a while. Midway was afraid of losing potential female gamers. Namco had assured Midway that a sequel to Pac-Man was in the works. But Midway couldn't wait for said sequel, which of course would be Super Pac-Man. Which is why they discovered Crazy Auto, and why when they discovered Crazy Auto, they found the sequel they needed. However... The gameplay in Ms. Pac-Man is pretty much the same as the original Pac-Man. Eat the dots in a maze while being chased by four ghosts who you temporarily have the ability to eat after you eat an Energizer. If Namco was going to do a sequel, they wanted there to be pretty significant change in gameplay. Super Pac-Man most definitely had significantly different gameplay. The dots are replaced by food, whose point value increases by level. The maze had a different format. Uh, Super Pac-Man now needed to unlock parts of the maze and can now enter the ghost pen in the middle of the maze. The the prize in the middle of the screen offered two different point values on top of a little matching game. There were now super pills in addition to the energizers and there were bonus mazes. The next Namco authorized sequel, Pac-N-Pal, which I actually saw back in the day at Aladdin's Castle in the Lincoln Mall in Matson, Illinois, but with the title Pac-Man and Chomp Chomp with the PAL sprite redesigned to look like the cartoon Pac-Man's dog also offer unique gameplay. No more energizers, but these things that make you somehow stun the ghosts, and you have a pal, or dog, depending on which version, that can hinder your progress. Instead of eating things in the maze, you're flipping over some cards. Um, the next Namco sequel was Pac-Land, a platform game based on Saturday morning cartoon, and therefore virtually nothing like the prior Pac-Man games, and Pac-Mania, which goes back to the eat dots in a maze while ghosts chase you formula, but the maze was 3D and scrolled, and you, and eventually the ghosts, could jump, but Midway is, but the Midway unauthorized sequel hacks all had the old 2D dots in the maze formula, except, of course, for the piece of Trek Professor Pac-Man, as we know quite well. <laughs> Also, you commented on the unique death animation of Ms. Pac-Man. Well, if you pay, if you really pay attention to the entire game, a tracked screen and all, you realize that Ms. Pac-Man characters are essentially characters in a movie. Notice how each of the three cutaway breaks are introduced with a movie clapperboard and act numbers. The prizes that dance around the maze, according to information I heard, were meant to represent those cheesy drive-in movie animations of yore that featured dancing foods. Think, let's all go to the lobby. During the attack screen, or sorry, the attract screen, the characters are introduced as if they were cast members, and Ms. Pac-Man's spitting death is supposed to be an overacted, overdramatic faint you might see in a cheesy movie. Mm-hmm. Now, how freaking cool is this? I heard the Atari 7800 version of Ms. Pac-Man mentioned as one of the best home conversions. Well, some years ago, a guy named Bob Credenzo programmed a homebrew 7800 cart called Pac-Man Collection, which offers several variations of Pac-Man, Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, Hangly Man, and a plus version of each. For Ms. Pac-Man, Bob made a few adjustments to the original 7800 version to make it more arcade accurate. He made sure that each maze had the exact same number of dots as the arcade version and redesigned the ghost sprites to make them more authentic as well. I think the most surprising revelation is what Bob discovered about the maze color. 
the first maze, Cherry and Strawberry, is not actually pink in the arcade. It's a very pale tan with a red outline. And those two colors together make the maze look pink. The original 7800 version just plain colored the maze pink. So Bob even made that seemingly minuscule change to the maze color to make it that much closer to the arcade game. Of course, as I would have expected, you guys talked about the turbo version. I'm amazed how common that version is. Well, I swear that at Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, Illinois, had a version of Ms. Pac-Man that had a speed button on it. Ms. Pac-Man would move at a normal pace, but if you held that button, she would speed up. I've never seen that variation anywhere else, and yes, it was definitely Ms. Pac-Man. I'm not thinking of Super Pac-Man, especially because Ms. Pac-Man was the only Pac-Man game that arcade ever had. And to answer your question about whether the turbo mode is a changeable setting, it's not. There's a ROM chip you need to swap out to get that turbo mode. I'm pretty sure the same chip can also turboize Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man. Finally, back when the Saturday morning cartoon aired, I would watch it religiously. The name of Pac-Man's cat, Sourpuss. Sean in Chicago. Now that was a very informative email. (laughs) Well done, Sean. We got a couple couple of things that we should address. First is... uh... Uh, we um, have asked Classy Freddy Blassie for a list of links to the videos that he made at California mm-hmm. Extreme. He sent the, those to us. They are currently in our uh, Facebook inbox, Carrington. So you can go in there and scrape them and post them up. Fantastic. Has, Good. I've been looking forward to seeing those, actually. He teased us with them before. Yeah, he has the uh, Roy Schultz Missile Command keynote, which I I'm just saw. Uh, I just saw that he included that, and I really want to see that because, man, that guy's colorful. Um, and the story of Defender parts one, two, three, and four. Fantastic. And going going much further back, he back when we did RoboCop, uh, he got to a, a point um, where he could not get any further. It was sort of at the end of the uh, drug warehouse mission where you're killing all the bad guys in the cocaine factory, and there's there's like a an escalator up, and but he couldn't figure out how to proceed. Um, and the way you do that, classy, I I, I posted this. Uh, in response to his question on Facebook. And for whatever reason, I, I think because Facebook is stupid and doesn't make any sense, he could not see my response to that. Uh, but the way it works um, is you kind of, you have to move your, you have to move um, Robocop sort of just until his hips kind of disappear between the disappear behind the starting point of the escalator. And then when you push the joystick up and to the right, so that the gun is aiming up and diagonally, he'll move forward and go up the escalator and then you can turn around and proceed back the other way on the second level. That's how you do that. So, aha, well found out, well spotted you, but you have to, it's kind of tricky if you don't know that that's what you need to do. So, uh, like I said, classy, I'm sorry that it, that Facebook didn't show you that for whatever reason, but that's how you do that. We hid it from you on purpose. We did. We're mean that way. (laughs) Also, I don't think I ever got that far in the game. (laughs) I wouldn't have been able to help. That's awesome. I think that's all the feedback to, to talk about. We got lots of really positive stuff. And there's really, really great, really like just some really touching email from the from the last show. So I really appreciate that, everybody. Um, and I also like to, Sean, set straight on a lot of lot of uh, stuff. I learned a lot from his email. Very inform- Probably more informative than our actual <laughs> review. So shall we go on to this week's game? This week's oh so exciting game? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess so. Well, it's if, from 1989, so it's pretty late in the day. 
in the in the arcade day. This is Wrestle War by Sega, and you start out as Bruce Blade. You are a an up and comer in the Sega Wrestling Alliance, and you have to fight your way to the top. And there's what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's eight wrestlers that you have to face. Um, and I don't know what happens once you beat the the big guy because I never got nearly that far and wasn't interested enough to cheat to see what happens. Uh, each opponent is more difficult than than the next. <laughs> then the, each one's more difficult than the next. The game just gets easier and easier. The game just gets very easy. Uh, <laughs> each each uh, opponent is is easier than the next. You start out with the Mohawk Kid, and from here on out, uh, the rest of the other seven wrestlers are all sort of loosely modeled after WWF wrestlers that were popular at the time. But mostly ones I'd never heard of. Yeah, so you, you really kind of have to be a wrestling geek to know some of these names. So, like, I think some people may have heard of Bruiser Brody, who is who kind of was the model for for your level three guy called Sledgehammer. Uh, level four was Mister J, who bears a they said they said he bears a striking resemblance to Carl Moffat, uh, who is also known as Jason the Terrible. Next, you have uh, Don Dambuster, who was uh, Road Warrior Hawk. That's probably a, a name that if you know anything about wrestling, you'll know that one. Next, we had Nimrod Falcon, who was modeled after uh, Mil Mascaris. I don't even know that one. Uh, Titan Morgan, who uh, looks like Hulk Hogan, and weirdly, oh, finally one I'd heard of. <laughs> that's right. And weirdly, that's not the last. Usually, like because Hulk Hogan was such a huge name in wrestling back in the eighties. Like I think in Matt Mania, he was the the main guy that, that he was like the the big boss that you fought at the very end of the game. Here, you once you beat him, you move on to Buckskin Rogers, who was modeled after Stan Hansen. And the big big boss in this game is called Grand Kong, who was uh, modeled after Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, and it's funny too because when you when you're playing, each time a match comes up, the the pictures of all the people you can fight are on the bottom and it highlights this the, basically the square to say here's your next opponent. But it only shows six of them because the last two are just question marks. They're, they're the secret people. <laughs> you have to play that far to to, to see them. I never saw them. Nor did I. Uh, this because this game came out a few years after Matt Mania. It's you know more advanced graphics, but it still feels kind of like the same game to me. Um, I, I did. I really enjoyed kind of the different moves that you could do. You could you know run the ropes. You could jump off the top corner, and and uh, if you watch wrestling at all, it sort of feels like you could like this could you could follow this along like a real match. Um, I didn't feel the same sort of humor. I, you know, they tried for it, but I don't think they got it down as well as Matt Mania did. Cause Matt Mania was just rife with in jokes and, and that sort of funny stuff that, that could really draw you in. And they tried here, but they didn't really get it. One thing that really bugged me was as you're moving around the mat, if you kind of shifted your angle too much, it would, the camera angle would just like whip around and suddenly you're, looking at it from a different angle, and now you've got to figure out what's going on before you get kicked in the face. And that really kind of bothered yeah. me. I think that was one of the big features that they built in, though. That sort of makes it stand out, because I hadn't seen this in any other wrestling game, where you're right, suddenly the camera will, will do a 90 or 180-degree turn around the ring if you ever get sort of blocked or you're on the wrong side of something or the ref blocks you suddenly. It whips around, I guess ostensibly to give you a better view of your character, but I also found it very disorienting at first. Yeah, it could it could be it could be a uh, deadly. You know, if you're trying to execute a move, or or your opponent's running at you, and and you're trying to to counter something that he's doing, you could end up on your back and pin before you know it. Um, 
WrestleWar is based on the Sega 16 ar- uh, arcade board system, uh, which followed up to the, uh, which was the follow up to the Sega System 1, uh, which means that it uh, used the Motorola 68000 and the Zilog Z80. I'm sorry, the Z80. Ah, that I've heard of. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's the, like, the, I, I mostly know that combo as being Capcom stuff, like the CPS 1 and 2 and stuff use those. But I think it was the Sega 16 that used that combo first and was the one that, Really made it popular as a as a combo to put in in subsequent um, arcade caps. Yeah, I, I think from all the stuff that I was reading, that that sounds right. Um, you know, sometimes when you start reading the history, especially of of if you're reading the history of a system like this rather than a particular game, it can get kind of convoluted because there are different you know variations and generations of the stuff. You know, there was like the Sega System 16A and B and the pre 16, and then um, it can get kind of confusing. I do know that this is one of the games that used one of those, um, uh, the encryption system chips that I think, uh, has the clock chip that fails and kills your board. Oh, that Hitachi chip. Yeah. yeah. It would use that FD 1094 or whatever. Yep. Um, cause that was exactly a decoder and a CPU stinkers. Uh, so specifically it used the Motorola 68,000 at 10 megahertz, the Z80 at four megahertz. Um, the use the Yamaha YM2151 at four megahertz for sound, uh, as well as an NEC uh, UPD7751 AD PCM decoder system. Um, Say that, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, the standard uh, display resolution for the System 16 was 320 by 224 with 4096 colors. That's a, the speaking of the resolution, um. That's something I found odd about this is that it's a vertical monitor. It, it yeah. felt like it should be a horizontal because all, many times I, I, you're seeing a lot less of the ring than you would kind of want to. It was, it was strange. I just guessed that the System 16 was simply a vertical system, but it seemed really weird to be playing this in a vertical monitor. Very odd. So it looks yeah. like the wrestle, according to SegaRetro.org, the WrestleWar was actually the System 16B as in Bravo. Okay. Okay. So that that's sort of the the last one of those. I think most most of the system sixteen games I know are the sixteen B. Yeah. I think of that as the, sort of the standard one. Yeah. Weirdly, the system sixteen C wasn't. It doesn't. It looks like there was only one game uh, for that. I never even system. heard of the sixteen C. And it wow. was Fantasy Zone Two DX: The Tears of Opa Opa, which was released in two thousand eight. So there was quite a quite a gap there. It looks like between generations. Wow. I didn't even. I did not know about that one. Mm. So this. I don't know a lot about wrestling, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I'd heard of Hulk Hogan. Like, I know him, and that's kind of what I know. But as far as I can tell, this wasn't, like, this wasn't, like, a licensed thing. Like, oh, these no. are all made-up names. It's the Sega Wrestling Alliance Championship you're trying to win. So I guess this wasn't actually associated with, like, a real wrestling thing. That's why these are just sort of based on real characters. That, that's right. Right? That's correct, right? yeah. And especially if, if they had based this on, on WWF, if you know anything about wrestling promotions and especially WWF, which is kind of even back then was the, the big, you know, the 800 pound gorilla of wrestling promotions. Um, Vince McMahon is, is kind of this ruthless businessman. And if you, if you were going to license something from him, it was going to have WWF all over the thing. And obviously there was none of that here. So I think an 800 pound gorilla would probably be very good at wrestling. I think so too. Um, I'm sure if he, I'm sure if he could figure out how to make money from that, he would do that. So the sound in this, I thought, was was okay. I like the fact that the speech says, you know, welcome to Wrestle War. 
Um, but it says that at the start of every single match, so it got a little old. Yeah. I liked, though, that the opponents would talk like, I can't wait to see you go down. They do that <laughs> sort of talking before the match. So that was kind of cool. The problem I found with the speech is the voice, like the Welcome to Wrestle War voice, sounded like a teenager was saying it. Like He didn't really have any gravitas to it. I'm like, really? That's who you picked to record this? Um, and I got tired of the, like, ooh noise when you'd kick or hit somebody. There's this sort of weird noise the character would make when he gets hit and you hear it a lot uh i thought the music was okay though it's i mean pretty pretty generic but at least it was kind of upbeat um uh, but so mostly during this game what i'm hearing is like that generic synth music and then the mat thump 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 so it's a very distinctive sort of sound coming off this game yeah i, I found the music actually to be kind of repetitive and I eventually put headphones on. Yeah, it came out in, what, 89, so I mean, this was, I guess, would have been before really techno took hold, but there's definitely that driving synth. This is the reason kind of... techno took hold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've discovered it here. Yeah, I um, I didn't care for this game all that much. Like I said, I had fun with it for a little while, and then it just got old and repetitive. Well, see, for me, it, it got old and repetitive very quickly. I was playing it, and I was like, it's just, it's such a button masher. Just like smack away, you're just you're just completely spamming the buttons. Like when you to kick somebody, or, or like when you when you grapple, you you completely spam the kick button. And um, when you do the the whip off the side ropes thing, you're basically spamming the punch button. It's just like a lot of push the button as fast as you can. So a lot a lot of that, and that gets kind of dull quickly. Um, so at first, I didn't like the game, and I was playing. I didn't like the way the the screen sort of rotates. So that was okay. It was different, but not great. Um, but then what sold me on the game, at least for a while, was like sometimes when you, you'd hit or kick a character, you hit your butt when they're near the side of the, the near the ropes, side of the ring, you would actually knock them out of the ring and the, the ref would start counting and the guy would eventually get back in the ring and you keep fighting. I thought that was okay. But then one time I had knocked the opponent out of the ring. I was near the edge as well. I hit some sort of button and I jumped down there. I was like, I, I can leave the ring too. Oh. <laughs> I walk up to him. He grabs the bell, like that bell you ring at the and starts just pounding me on the head with it. And I was laughing so hard. I thought, okay, that's a good detail. And so I like the fact that if you fight outside of the ring, they grab chairs, they grab various stuff to beat you with. And so I found that really funny. And so the game got me on its side. I was like, okay, well, this is awesome. But there's also only so much variety there. And I think that's where the game fell down is it's you're mashing these buttons and there simply wasn't enough variety to the gameplay i i I got bored even in this just this one week of playing i by by the end of it i was like okay i'm i'm done with this game so i think there's simply not enough there there you know there's not enough there's not enough depth to this gameplay it's a pretty shallow game yeah the the move sets are are sort of limited and and i guess as you would expect an arcade game from 1989 to be it's not certainly not going to be you know the xbox 360 latest wwe title or anything like that I enjoyed the, like you, I discovered that I got, I got thrown over the ropes and then he climbed up the ropes, jumped over them and like knocked me down, picked up a chair and started beating the crap out of me with it. And I just laughing the whole time because it was so like unexpected and hilarious that that would happen. Cause it, you don't see that happening really in the ring. Cause there's no chairs to grab or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like the, the idea that each, each, uh, you and your enemy ha- each have a power bar and that kind of shows you how effective your move's going to be and whether you can kick out of something. If, you know, if he's got you pinned and you're at a two count, you know, you need to, your power needs to be all the way up or you're, or you're going to, you're going to get pinned. And this isn't a game obviously where you die, you play until you get pinned and that's 
kind of sort of the way it works. Or you run out of time. Right. That happened to me a lot. It was, I would simply, there's, there's like a timer that counts down. And weirdly, it doesn't start counting down at the very beginning of a match. So I kept thinking, is it broken? What's going on? But eventually it does start counting down. It just looked broken to me at first. And so a number of times I'd be in like the, the second or third match and I would simply run out of time. And it would say, if you want, you could continue by putting another quarter in. But since we played the, with the one quarter rule, I didn't continue. Um, but I found that I died as often that way as getting pinned. Yeah, that's this not something that you see in wrestling a lot today and in professional wrestling today. The, the, the timed matches, that's something that kind of was big in the 70s and 80s where you know, these guys would wrestle for 10 minutes and if, if nobody got pinned, then nobody got pinned. And, and and I think kind of the audience has sort of got tired and annoyed with not seeing winners. Um, and so that's been phased out, but that used to be very common in professional wrestling. So now they just write in the winners quicker. <laughs> exactly. Not that it's phony or anything. What? <laughs> you mean it's all scripted? Oh, no. Yeah. So I found the scoring for this was kind of all over the place. I was surprised because you get these bonuses. You can get like bonus money um, depending on how the match goes, I guess. I was never really sure why I would get the bonuses I get. There's a time bonus. I guess that contributes to it. So how, the quicker you can get rid of a, an opponent, the more. And there's also a secret bonus, which is kind of like the slot machine of faces that comes up and you get points for that. But scores were all over the place. And it just, it, I don't know, I, I guess like the farther you go, the higher your score will be. But it wasn't like a lot of games where you could look at a score and tell how I did. There were lots of times I would get further in. I would get to the fourth guy and not have a score nearly as good as I'd have in this on the second guy. Yeah, it was uh, a very strange system of scoring. I, I didn't really even notice that there were a lot of scores at, at first because up at the top where normally your scores are, that's where kind of your face and his face and the timer and your power bars are. And mm-hmm. down at the bottom, sort of mixing in with the colors that are moving around behind you behind it on the, on the mat, that's where the actual scores and the time bonus are. Uh, so I, those didn't actually feel that important to me. It felt more important to beat the guy and, and progress to the next level. And then maybe mm-hmm. that was, that was intended. I don't know this, this game felt was very much a, it was almost an annoying button masher. Like, like the reason that I hate fight fight games, like, Samurai Showdown and things like that are because it's just a, it becomes just pounding the buttons and, and hopefully some random combination of what I hit did something to my opponent before he did something to me. This is almost like that, but, and if you get this in MAME, it's very important. I think that you get the, the, the bezel artwork file that goes along with it because right next to um, your joystick and your buttons are the, you know, the, the combos are listed out very clearly. You know, you press the kick button and the punch button, and and what those will result in for you. And, and that really kind of helped me out a lot. Oh, yeah, because I was just basically randomly hitting stuff and seeing what would well, happen. Eventually, I would panic and just start pounding stuff, too, because I, you know, when as I said the, the, before, the difficulty ramps up pretty dramatically once you get up to four or five, and, and uh, you just end up banging the buttons, and that's kind of, it's fun to watch for a little bit, but you, you're not really going to make any progress that way. I found the difficulty ramped up, a lot for me on the third guy. <laughs> I rarely got past him. There's also, we haven't mentioned, but there's basically two ways to play this. I mean, we, we were playing this week what the game calls continuous play, which is the single player fighting through eight matches. And if you, if you time out or you get pinned, you can continue um, by putting another quarter in and I guess you keep going. I, I just never looked at the continue, but you can also play a two-player version of this which means um, two players play simultaneously against each other, 
and it's a three-minute match. So you can either play three minutes to a tie, or it's a what they call a single fall match. So if one of you pins the other, then the game's over. I suspect I would like playing that way more. Yeah, okay, so I, I wasn't even aware of that um, as I was watching this, and it's probably because I didn't read the track screens that well. I actually got it from the manual. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I again, this the, okay, so that sort of changes things. I, I imagine this would be a lot more fun Again, playing interactively with your friends. Mm-hmm. Especially if you can like grab the bell and beat him with that or beat him with a chair or something. Because <laughs> like, I think this would be as much about the, the, the trash talk during the game and the laughing as anything else. So I think that would be a much better experience. The single-player game I got bored of during this week. Yeah, uh, I did too. Now, this game was also released for the Sega Mega Drive, but it wasn't sold in the United States, and I guess it didn't do very well. I... The reviews that I read about the Mega Drive version were pretty terrible just because oh. I guess the controls were just dreadful um, and it wasn't a whole lot of fun. Now, um, there was a, a system that Sega had called Mega Tech, which was similar, I guess, to the, the Nintendo PC-10 system where the Mega Tech used uh, Genesis cartridges and you could load up to 10 of, I think, 10 cartridges or something like that into into this. And so uh, in 1991... Um, a version of, of Wrestle War ended up in the Megatech system, and I, I don't really know a whole lot about it. I can't find reviews of that version of it or anything, but we'll probably end up talking about the Megatech system at some point, so it'll come up again. Cool. I think this was also released for the Dreamcast as oh, part of something right. called the Sega Smash Pack. Hmm, okay. um, I had never played it before. I had never played Wrestle War. I'd never seen it in the arcade. I wasn't really a big Sega Genesis guy. Um, and like you're saying, it was never released in the U.S., but I think it was you know bigger in the U.K. or what have you. Um, I never played this in any format. So for me, this was a totally brand new game. Yeah, I, I don't know that I ever saw saw it in the arcade. I, I had a, a friend who had Sega Genesis, and I remember he had this game and, and really enjoyed it. You know, and his big thing that he he thought was cool was that each of the each of the opponents that you face that you face has kind of his own separate set of moves and, and finishing moves and stuff. And so there's definitely a, a strategy and you, if you invested the time and if you're in the arcade, the quarters as well, uh, you could figure it out and get pretty far. And if you're at home, obviously it just costs you the cost of the, the price of the, the cartridge to mm-hmm. and you just play and play and play. And that's what he did. But beyond that, yeah, I don't, I don't really know that this did all that well. And because it's um basically a button masher, you can continue by throwing another quarter in. So if you, you're playing this in MAME and you play the, the continuous mode, the single-player, there's only eight matches you can go through. They're always going to be the same guys in the same order. I really think that this doesn't have long-term replayability as a single-player game. But I think maybe it would as a two-player game. But unfortunately, I didn't get to play that this week. But my, my gut's telling me that would be the way to go. That would be what would make it fun to have this as a cap. I think so, yeah, because after a while you learn their move sets and you learn the strategies and you kind of, you know, you can pick up on when it telegraphs what he's going to do and then you just hit the hit the correct countering move combination and pin him. And the reality is since it's system it's Sega 16 hardware. It's a JAMA thing. It was just sold basically as a JAMA kit. Um it seems to me that this would therefore like as a party game, it would be worth picking up the PCB if you had like a Sega system, like let's say you had, um, say a Shinobi. That's a Sega system game. 
that's a great game. That's a game worth having. That's a game worth having. I think that Rob ended up having two or three of them at some point. <laughs> so, you know, Shinobi, one of the greats. So we got to eventually talk about Shinobi. But this is this PCB is frequently available online for well under $100. Like there's one on eBay right now for something like 80 bucks. So it's a relatively cheap game to pick up as the PCB. I don't think it's worth dropping a few hundred dollars to have a dedicated cab on this. But if you've got a six, Sega Sistine cabinet, this seems like a fun two-player game, and JAMA's a really easy swap. Um, so you could temporarily put this into a Shinobi cabinet, have fun as a, at a party, and then convert it back to Shinobi, which is a more long-term game. You know, I think that that's the reason to have this. I think if I were going to do that, I would go for that the, the arcade cartridge system where you can load up with 10 of your favorite cartridges. You are a way. wise man, Mr. McGinnis. But, well, but that w- but the thing is, and you're not playing the arcade version, you're playing the Sega Genesis version. You are version. a foolish man, Mr. McGinnis. <laughs> so, Change so, my mind about you. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm just as dumb as you've heard, and, and worse, in fact. <laughs> you mean just as dumb as the rumors I've spread? <laughs> That's right. Uh, interestingly, there is an online version you can play. It looks like it's a flash video uh, conversion over at GameOldies.com. That's one of the games that you have available, and you can play for free right now cool. in your browser. Cool. I don't think I would do that. Uh, well, would you? Well, I think I'll link to it, but I'm not that excited about it. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not big on flash you... games like this, and it's such a button masher. It it doesn't play. I played it a little bit on keyboard to see what it'd be like. It doesn't play great on keyboard. No. It wants real buttons yeah. um, to bang on, so it's not really going to be fun as a as a flash game. This is something to play on an actual cabinet, whether it's a dedicated full time cabinet or like a Mame system or just the PCB thrown in a and a Jabba a Jamma cabinet for a while, something like that. But I think it. It is a game that if you are going to play it, play it with real buttons. Okay, so tell me about the cabinet then. Yeah, the cabinet stinks. It was mostly sold as a kit, <laughs> um, to be honest. Like, it's by this point, um, I think Sega Sistine came out in 85 or something. It's been out for a while. So this was, like, I don't know how many people would have ever bought this as a, as a dedicated thing. All the versions I've seen online being sold or restored were all just from kits. Um, so it was just one of those things where you would get the kit, you would throw the PCB in and you would have yourself, you'd be converting like a Qbert over to this. <laughs> That's a shame, but whatever. Um, so there's nothing really special about the cabinet. If you go online, it's all different cabinets. I mean, it's everything we just talked about. It's essentially, it's going to be two buttons, a joystick, well, two joysticks and two buttons each because you play two player and a vertical monitor and it's a JAMA cab. Nothing exciting. Um, the only thing really, like I have already said, that's worth note is this PCB seems to be a particularly cheap one. It's something you can frequently pick up um, for you know 50 to 75 maybe $80, even from places like eBay. So it's a cheap game to pick up to play in a real cabinet. So that's kind of cool. That's it. <laughs> I like, what, I, I've played other wrestling games, and I think, I still think, um, I think I like Superstars the best. I haven't played it in a while, but I think that's my wrestling game of choice. Okay, and well, I say that as a guy who really doesn't like wrestling. <laughs> well, we'll have to add that to the list then. Yes, you do so, Mr. McGinnis. But this basically is a weird kind of curiosity uh, in the history of Sega arcade games. You know, probably fun to play once or twice, but there's, yeah, it's very repetitive. There's not a lot of replay value, at least at least in the, the single-player mode. Mm-hmm. I liked, well, huh, I don't like, <laughs> I noted the twisting camera. I mean, that's really what sets this game apart from other wrestling type games is that whole suddenly the camera whips around 90 degrees. I 
So it's kind of neat that it does that, but I found it disorienting and I kind of wished it wouldn't do that. And that's its big feature. And I, and I didn't like it. So for me, I got to say as a single player game, I found it boring. My gut says it would be a fun two player game, but I don't think it's much more fun than other two player games. So I'm going to say it's okay as a two player game, even though I didn't play it that way, but nothing particularly awesome about it. Kind of good, kind of okay. Graphics kind of okay. Music. I like superstars better. (laughs) That's my review. Okay. So oh, we never talk scores, though. I was, let's talk scores. I was about to say, uh-huh. let's just get this out of the way then. Since Mine is really low. <laughs> neither of us really so, care about the game, so go ahead, sir. So uh, best I did, the best score I got was against the third guy, uh, whatever his name was. The guy with the, he, he's got like a mask on. I think you said he was based on a, a Mr. A Hawk, something Hawk. What, anyway, Warrior that Hawk, guy. Yeah, something. The guy with the weird, it looked like Jason mask, kind of. And I got a very round number, 160,000. 160,000. Lots of zeros. Okay. How about you? How'd you do? I got to number five. Um, oh, my God. And I got uh, 182,000. Wow. So you got a lot farther than me, but not a much better well, score. I, I, I did get to the fourth guy once, but I, I got a higher score against this third guy because of all those random things you can get. Yeah, there's there's a lot of weird bonuses and and if you do, you know, if you do combinations, if you kind of chain together moves, it seems to to kind of ramp up your bonus a bit and if you kick out and or successfully counter his moves, that's those are bonuses and especially once you get out, weirdly, once you get out of the ring and like you're smashing him with a chair that <clears throat> with a chair that seems to to add up points pretty quickly and that sort of stuff. So there, there. If you go in and just pin the guy in in thirty seconds, you're going to move on, but you're really not going to get a lot as as far as uh, a lot in the way of actual points. But it's fun to hit people with chairs. It really is. And I, that's I, the I, message, kids. <laughs> hit people with chairs. Next time I see Carrington, I'm hitting him in the face with a chair. Woohoo! Bring it. <laughs> Top rope. So what are we playing next week? I don't know. Well, maybe it'll sound like this. <laughs> All right, kids, that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. It was fun. But not that fun. Oh. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.